0: Welcome to the Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. I'm Scott Jones, and I'll be your host. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Normally, we release episodes every Friday in concert with our weekend roundup. Another week ends. This is the th- thing to read if you're looking for a grace-infused Christian cosmopolitan guide to the content. Of the World Wide Web. This is a special episode, however. In it, we discuss the release of the most recent edition of Mockingbird magazine. Its focus, technology. It's great for the technophiles and the technophobes and everyone in between. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Ethan Richardson, the issue's editor, and David Zoll, Mockingbird's founder. But before we chat, let's take a moment to visit antiquity. You know, Togaland. In his dialogue, The Phaedrus, Plato tells a story about a guy telling a story. The guy telling the story is Socrates, and he's telling it to his friend, Phaedrus. It's a story from ancient Egypt where King Thamus is hosting the god Theuth, the inventor of many things, many of which you probably loathe in middle school, like numbers, calculation, astronomy, and writing. Theus was showing off his inventions to the king, arguing that they should be made available to all Egyptians. For a long time, Thamus evaluates each of Theus' inventions, pointing out the pluses and the minuses of each. But when it comes to writing, King Thamus passes a categorically negative judgment. Thaïs, my paragon of inventors, the discoverer of an art is not the best judge of the good or harm which will accrue to those who practice it. Those who acquire it will cease to exercise their memory and become forgetful. They will rely on on writing to bring things to their remembrance by external signs instead of by their own internal resources. What you have discovered is a receipt for recollection, not for memory. And as for wisdom, your pupils will have the reputation for it without the reality. And because they are filled with a conceit of wisdom instead of real wisdom, they will be a burden too. In his book, Technopoly, Neil Postman points out that Thamos' error is not his claim that writing will impair memory and create false wisdom. It's clearly done that over the years. It's his thinking that writing will be only a burden to society and nothing but a burden. All technology New and old is both a burden and blessing. Not either or, but this and that. May grace help us as we sort out the difference. So I am here with Ethan Richard, Richardson, who just who is the editor of the technology issue of the Mockingbird magazine and with David Zoll, Mockingbird's executive director and founder. And we're going to talk for a few minutes about the, this recent issue of the magazine, the technology issue. Now, Ethan is the editor. Well, I both of you, I mean, because you both have a vested interest in seeing – People read this because you poured some time, energy, blood, sweat, tears into it. What about people that say like technology, it's just not for, I mean, I'm not a techie. Like I'm not into that whole scene. So this seems like a very, usually I love how universal your themes are about love and forgiveness and the human condition. And I so connect with it because it's, it's, it's where I live. But technology, I mean, I, I like, I, I I can't even, I've never uh, tweeted what would you say?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's something that we've, we've run into quite a bit. And um, actually, in, in Dave's essay, we, uh, he tells a story about <clears throat> someone at one of our conferences coming up. And uh, he, Dave was headed to the, uh, the breakout session that was covering technology. And this guy was an older guy. And he said, you know, I, I just I can't say that I'm, I'm very much of a technology person. And as soon as he says this, uh, he, he pulls out his iPhone to check a text and like wanders off. And, um, I guess it's funny because you think about the phrase, um, well, you just think about technology in general and you, you think about gadgets, the type of people who would buy geeky magazines and, uh, would consider themselves gamers and I'm not one of those people, but the way that we're coming at technology is, is instead looking at how it's sort of invisibly becoming the way we, uh, we exist every day. It's sort of becoming the way that we, uh, communicate with one another, the way that we navigate the world that we're in, the way that we, um, the way that we think about ourselves and think about our lives. And so, as far as themes go, this issue was uh, was bound to be more difficult to get into people's ears. But I think what's come out is really beautiful because um, it's really just the story of, of people. So unless
0: somebody's like making a beeline for an Amish community in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, or thereabouts, mm-hmm. this does affect their lives in pervasive ways, whether or not. They see, and maybe actually, it's it's it it's more important for people that think they're more outside of the tech, the technorati class.
1: Yeah, I mean, as as much as you tend to believe that you are not a techie person, um, it just goes to show how how invisible it's it's really become in our day to day life. I mean, when was the last time you you checked your phone for a text message? When was the last time you?
0: Wait, can you say that again? I was just checking my phone
1: for
0: yeah, a text. Yeah, right. I was, I was looking at it. I was texting. Yeah, somebody. I was
1: too while I was talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's,
0: I mean, I think that is a pretty apt description of reality. You know, the, the phenomena too, It David says something in his piece about there's a difference between expression and communication. And how, and not that either is bad, but like if you're trying to communicate with somebody and and you know convey empathy or appreciation or attempt to like evoke understanding, you're going to have to be more sensitive and dialed into them. Where sometimes you know you meet these people, and I can think of several people in my own life that are these mild mannered people that are pretty even keel and measured. And then if it's a uh, politics or cultural hot button issues, I mean, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they become on social media. And it's like, it's just, it's a fascinating reality where where we go into this seeming this bubble of expression without communication that really is seeming to make life at times really toxic.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, um, one of the recurring themes I think in, in, A lot of the pieces is this, uh, this theme of, uh, that was first coined by Augustine, but, but was sort of refashioned by Luther of incurvatus and say that human beings are, are, are naturally curved inward on themselves. And, um, technology shows better than really anything else how that happens on an individual level that we, um, we tend to look to express rather than to communicate. Like, our natural inclination is to sort of uh, look at ways to sort of curate ourselves, um, but not really look outward at all.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things, like, it, it, I guess it sort of amplifies, you know, if, if, if you can dig, like, you know, a certain size ditch in an hour with a shovel. And a much bigger one with the backhoe, maybe the danger is like, you know, with a, with a smartphone and an iPad, I mean, the incurvature can become a pretty deep chasm.
2: You know, we, we found that we talk, we use that term so much on the website, it's just become such a shorthand for so much about, frankly, about technology with things like filter bubbles and there's this great New Yorker cover of a guy sort of checking his phone and completely curved in against the world. That we decided to um we noticed it wasn't in the glossary of terms that was in the on the website. So we actually commissioned someone to write a a, a glossary entry on Incurvatus and say and we it's sort of like a bonus in the issue. Um but uh it was really it was really fun for a theologian, I think, to go into that specific uh phrase because it's yeah, it's one that we we've we've found ourselves using more and more and more. I was laughing because I Actually, today, the New Yorkers, uh, the cartoon, I think, for this week is of two girls, uh, like teenage girls on a bed, checking their phones, looking at their phones. And the caption reads, when I make eye contact for the first time, I want it to be with the the right person. (laughs) 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 And I mean, that's just to to me, it says a lot about what we're trying to accomplish with this issue, because there's such a... It's we we found as like we're putting it together that we're just negotiating so many different value judgments about people not wanting to say that they're interested in, in technology or could be considered a technology person to the ways that technology allows you to actually not consider yourself that way. I mm-hmm. mean <laughs> it's it's this it's this deep like onion of identity uh politics made and curation that is um insidious is one way to look at it but there's we also talk a lot about the positives uh that go along with it and that, as ethan's keeps saying like that was a huge challenge to not be alarmist or just overly pessimistic yeah i mean
0: yeah i mean I, I, yeah i think that's one of the strengths of the issue like especially in the kind of programmatic piece you know you lay out in the beginning you feel like you, you really do a good job of saying look we're not we're we're not trying to kind of reify technology into this kind of boogeyman or something. That it's 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 a tool. Like it's not you know, we're what it does to us, the human condition because we're you know, fallen and fragile and faltering, that's not the, necessarily the fault of the technology itself. Um so I feel like you guys are, are are do a good job of going into it with eyes wide open and yet without without a judgmental alarmist kind of uh you know, if you watch cable news, every every other commercial on one cable political channel is William duvane, Hey, have you saved up enough gold for when the apocalypse comes? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I feel like you guys do a nice job of really trying to de- be more descriptive than prescriptive. Yeah,
1: thanks. That's definitely the aim. And um, I mean, for the most part, these essays are uh, – they're not written by Luddites. You know, they're written by – people who have a hard time having conversations when they're looking at their phone. They're written by people who need to get a flip phone because, uh, they find that their smartphone is ruining their lives. Um, they're, they're written by porn watchers and, um, and people, you know, struggling to sort of, um, make do with the technological decisions that have uh, affected their lives. And so, yeah, it's 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 different to talk about it from the perspective of someone who is outside of it um as opposed to someone who is actually is actually in it with the reader. You have an interview
0: here with Nicholas Carr mm-hmm. which is something I think to be pretty excited about. Can you say a little bit about for listeners that aren't familiar with his work who are going to get the issue, like why should they run and not walk to read this? <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: I mean, um, so we have uh, Nicholas Carr is is um, our interview for this issue, and he's the he's the author of uh, in 2010, The Shallows, uh, which is sort of a it was a groundbreaking piece on what the internet is doing to our minds and the way that we think and the way that we uh, think about ourselves and and the way that we view. Um, deeper existential questions and it was a Pulitzer finalist. Um, it's a, it's a profound book and, and then his most recent book, which just came out last year is called the glass cage automation and us. And in, in this book, he's talking about how, how, because things have become so automatic, how we can navigate ourselves through our daily lives without actually having to process uh, why we're doing them or uh, how to do them, that it actually changes the way that we enjoy our lives and the way that we process what we're doing. And so we had a really great conversation with him. He He's talking to us about uh, parts of the book. Uh, in one part, he's, he's talking about the Wright brothers and how when they First, designed a plane. They wanted a plane that actually wasn't, um, the goal wasn't stability. The goal was that the pilot would feel the, feel the plane move with them as, um, as it was flying in the air. And, and as time has gone on, they've actually designed planes, uh, that, that are more stable. But the cost of that stability is that when, uh, a plane hits rough air or something happens, um, God forbid, pilots have become so programmed to the automation that they no longer know how to sort of um, manually fly on their own. Um, so he talks about some of the crashes that have happened in, in <laughs> recent history. That's scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> and, um and mainly just to like, to, to, as a picture of, like, what automation sort of numbs us to.
0: So are there questions you could ask your pilot when you get on Southwest? Like, hey, how's your intuition for the feel of the plane, right. dude? Like, just, you know, on a 1 to 10 scale. Yeah, let like... we talk
1: your manual flying skills here for a sec?
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The other thing you have, I mean, it's interesting. You have this. this, I love the title, Unreconciled and Disembodied why sex on the internet sucks. I mean, so much of the internet is uh, sexually driven, right? So I think this is by Sarah Kahn. And this is a very interesting piece about the sort of disconnection of body and and soul that, that online intimacy can lead to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's a great piece. um, yeah sarah's sarah's a great voice in the magazine and and really it's something that um that came late in the game early on in in the in the editing phase we had this entire uh we had the entire journal together and we realized that we missed something on um like pornography which is like such a huge part of um the internet industry i mean the, the 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 porn industry is um has has a higher income than um the national football league and so um it's it's it would be sort of silly not to to talk about it
0: um, yeah they put playboy out of business i right. mean playboy is no longer gonna fit gonna feature nude photos
1: right. <clears throat> yeah and, and sarah's thing is i mean she's mainly mainly talking about sort of Um, when, when sex becomes this, like this electronic acquisition, um, we lose the picture of, uh, sex as vulnerability or as two, two weak people coming together and seeing each other in in a vulnerable place. And, and therefore we lose the whole point, which is, which is love and um, intimacy and intimacy.
0: Yeah, for sure so. it's interesting my my friend and colleague bill Bourne and i do this podcast new persuasive words and we're releasing one friday we just record and the title was spiritual sexting <laughs> We talked about how like the sexting thing but then we talked about how like almost more disconcerting is this other form of inappropriate weird intimacy where you post this fall outrage over the starbucks red cups or you just over to, like we've all read this facebook post right where Oh my gosh, the most emotionally trying, exasperating, challenging experience of my life happened today. And I just can't hold on so that 60 people can say, what happened? Who you haven't seen, like, rather than call a friend and be vulnerable, you'd rather get, like, fall consolation from someone you hadn't seen since your junior year in high school that you're Facebook friends with. So it's like, I feel like Sarah in this piece has got, has, has sort of scraped, has got, has gotten to something that is so pervasive, like people, well, I may, I might not do sexually illicit things, but the fall, the fall vulnerability that maybe is even more damaging. So many of us
1: are. Oh, that's so to. true. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's funny how many of these essays turned into, um, that a picture of, um, validation hunger, you know, that for the most part are, um, our online lives are just hungry for validation and affirmation, and what we will give up—all the things in our life—we will give up for just like five seconds of um, the little, the little buzz that we feel in our pockets. That's a little, a little taste of affirmation.
0: And one last thing, I just want to highlight. And there's so much great in this issue. I, I mean, I, I can't commend it enthusiastically enough. But I have thought a lot about this issue over the past couple of years, and I have never seen a thoughtful, theological, cultural, and spiritual analysis of algorithms. <laughs> and I mean that in all seriousness. I mean, it's, it's this, so there's this essay, Time to Pull Over, Algorithms, Self-Driving Cars, and An Unkind Word About Fear, which it's by uh, Brian Jarrell. Who I don't know at all, but he sounds like an incredibly our, uh, insightful person. He's an
2: Anglican minister and he's our um he's our social media guy. He's a he's lives in West Virginia, incredibly gifted, though um uh I'm not sure I want him
0: behind the wheel after reading that uh piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I don't I'm not say i want to drive yeah. with him, but I will say this is something algorithms are just this driving force and I thought his kind of it, uh, nuanced, again, non-alarmist analysis, and, and and even hopeful at points. But I, I think about you know Barbara Kingsolver, the novelist. She and her family for a year just ate what they could get grown, like they didn't eat strawberries in January. They didn't, right, you know, like right. they ate for a year. And it's almost like Eucharistic eating, right? You're so grateful for the things. And I felt like some of his concluding thoughts about the spiritual implications of algorithms were some of the most creative theological insights I've read anywhere in a long time.
1: <laughs> wow. That's, that's really uh that's awesome. Yeah. So Brian, I mean, yeah. Tell us what a little, what he said, Ethan. Yeah. So Brian's talking about um Google's Google's kind of coming up with These uh, self-driving cars, they plan to have them out in the next 20 years or something like that. And um, and there's a huge um, there's a huge number of people that have shown they will not drive a Google car like they will always want to drive their own car. And for the most part, it's been seen as like sort of this this strange strand of anti progress um, thinking when. In every other sphere, we're thinking like the more progress, the better. Uh, When it comes to people allowing computers to drive them from place to place, people don't want to give over the steering wheel. And Brian's basically saying it is proven that trusting these algorithms would be better for our safety. Uh, We would be, you know, 90 percent less likely uh, to have an accident if we were in um, a Google driven car. But we don't want to do it. And I put myself in that camp. I don't want to do it. You know, I, I love driving around. I hate flying because I'm out of control. Um, but what he's getting to is that not trusting an algorithm as opposed to trusting it is actually um, a form of surrender, which I thought was really, really interesting.
0: And there's another seemingly all present force beginning with G that if we surrender to it would probably be safer and better. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: What's his name?
1: Yeah, <laughs> gravity. Gravity. Yeah.
0: Gravity. Right, yeah. gravity. Gravity. Yes. Gravity. God. Well. <laughs> God. Captain, God. Ollie, sorry. Well, guys, thanks so much for this issue and for taking time to talk about it. And I hope that it gets a lot of readership because it's certainly – Encouraging, enlightening, and I think it gives people a, a, a gracious way to view themselves when they're ensconced in, you know, the technopoly that we live yeah. in.
1: thanks, Scott. Appreciate it.
0: Technology certainly does have a way of making human beings serve it rather than the other way around. But this is nothing new. Any created thing that tries to take the place of the creator does this, whether it's food or sex love, or even religion. But Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it in abundance. And in light of his love and God's unfailing grace, we can take heart that technology can be part of the story of abundant life. And so for ways to consider how that may be, check out a copy of the Mockingbird magazine. Thanks for being with us.